All right, uh, so we have been embarking on a three-week message series. Okay, so the, when people are like, what's the vision of your church? You know, you start up a church, and if you're in the church realm, people will quickly start asking questions like, well, what's your vision? Well, what's your mission? Well, what's your, and they just start throwing stuff at you, and it's like, love Jesus, leave me alone. Like, like I just, I just want to not cry. Okay, um, and so you're just like, you get kind of bombarded with these kind of things, and, and you feel like, it's important, and in a lot of senses, it is important, but not as important as we've pressed it as because we've kind of tried to turn the church into a business, and there are business aspects, but relationally, we can't interact with one another and sit in community as if we're in a business together because then we'll never cross into intimate relationships, right? Um, not to say, now I say that, and then like the people who help me with the business stuff are like, annoyed at me because I don't think that way. And so God sends them to take care of me. Um, but we began to really pray on that concept, which actually, for the record, Louis Giglio, he's kind of a bigger pastor. A lot of people know his name. That guy's like, yeah, people told me that. I don't have a vision statement until the 15th year of my church. And so I was like, okay, you're a mega church. God will do whatever he wants to do. But we really began to pray and kind of seek as a church. And, and what happened was before we were even Boulevard Church, I was a youth pastor. And when I was a youth pastor, I ran our church, our youth group, with the concept of what we called it the three pillars. Right, and when I became a lead pastor, <laughs> I just kept running youth ministry, and um, so the three pillars rolled over. Uh, because I don't care how old you are, we all act like five-year-olds. I don't know why. It's just who we are. Individually, we can be so mature, and the second there's four of us together, everyone's a five-year-old again, laughing at fart jokes. Um, and that's just the gospel. But. But we have the three pillars, and so we really just decided as a church, we're just going to hang on to these and just really walk in these, and that is to love God, right? The three pillars of our church is to love God, love the church or love community, and then to reach the lost and broken or help those in need, right? And so we've just, what I have kind of said a few times, and I want to reiterate it again, I actually believe that if you truly pursued to put God first and glorify him, if you truly pursued to make his name known in the earth as a community who loves one another. And if you truly reached out, preached the gospel and extended his kingdom by the preaching of the word and the being the hands and feet of Jesus and helping those who are lost. I actually believe that if you pursued those three things, you would always naturally do all the things the Bible's told you to do. You'll always naturally land in. There isn't a scripture that I'm not living up to. There isn't an expectation in the kingdom that I'm not facilitating through these things, all right? And so we, we kind of boil it down. And so to start off this year, I wanted to re-go through these three pillars because for our church, they're very crucial. When we plan events as a leadership team, we keep these in mind. When we do things as a church, these are things we pray over, asking, well, how are we facilitating the thing we believe God has called us to do, right? And that is kind of what led to the concept of even naming our church Boulevard, to our little tagline, which is on your street and in your city, right? We did Boulevard because Pastor Thomas actually thought of the name because we were saying, like, we wanted something nitty and gritty. And Pastor Thomas is like, well, what about Boulevard? And I was like, well, I have a new church. It's up the street. And it was like, who cares? And it's like, good point. <laughs> and so we, we did Boulevard, but the heart behind it uh, was because it's, it's a major thoroughfare. As in when you're driving through a city, if you want to go from one end to another, you get on a Boulevard. Right? So, like, Las Vegas Boulevard, which is funny because we're on a lane as a building. But it's a spiritual name. Spiritually, we're on a Boulevard in Jesus' name. Um, 
but we, uh, this concept where I saw when I closed my eyes is a long street and then neighborhoods along it. And because I didn't want us to be a church, I, I love the church. I'm about to preach on the church. See the title of the message? You know what I'm saying? Love the church. We just ran a supposed to be three-hour event, about a five-hour event in our church last night where we spent five hours breaking down what is the church, what is the bride, who are we, what's our role. The church is so crucial and so important, but very often when she's not careful, she starts to perform for people instead of performing for God. And so that's when you go into the churches and it's like, how you doing today? And it's like, blessed and highly favored. Above and up, beneath, the head and up the tail, that whole thing. And it's like, maybe you do feel that way, but most times you just slapped your wife in the car and got out and said that to me. Maybe you didn't slap. You probably shouldn't slap. But you yelled at someone, or you got slapped, honestly, uh, in my relationship. Um, <laughs> I am the slappy. Um, yeah. <laughs> And anyone who, who gets close enough to my wife has been punched by her at one point or another. Um, in, in the Cody, he lived with us for a year, got punched a lot. Um, deserved it, everyone. I don't deserve everyone. But uh, you, you lose your cool. You're not living up uh, to what you should be or you, you could be. And you never will because we create cultures where you can't be honest about the struggle. Right? And so... We call ourselves Boulevard because one of the concepts, I just want, my exact words is I just want to be the gritty, dirty church, right? Where even if your beard isn't trimmed right, God can still move on you. Or even if you're not dressed like a hipster, God can still move on you. Or even if you don't have that right shoes or if you don't play that instrument or if you're, if you're not into the, the synth sound, which we do have that now, but we didn't until like a week ago. Um, and, and, you know, like there's a thing going around on TikTok right now uh, where it's like if The Office was a worship song and it sounds exactly like a worship song and they're playing The Office theme song, it's because there's like those things we've boiled down church to, right? And those things aren't bad, but for me, they didn't, they didn't eventually in the kingdom of God, in the church, I hit a wall that I couldn't pass because I felt the expectation to perform. And it wasn't always placed on me, but sometimes it was inferred. I've been on worship teams in the past where when you sit down and join the worship team, they make you sign something. And one of the things you have to sign is how you'll dress on a Sunday, right? Where it's, and it will say things like, you have to dress this style with these colors. And I guess I get the colors in a sense because you're on a stage and it's being recorded, but like, it's like you have to have this specific style. You can't wear something like this. And it's not like things of like, oh, well, you know, we have similar rules. Like, hey, if you're going to be on stage, like put on deodorant. But like, you know what I'm saying? But it wasn't like that. It was much more nitty gritty, much more specific of like who you had to be. And then you run into it's only certain personality types get certain positions. And so people embrace personality types that aren't theirs and try to be something they're not. We never wanted to be that. Um, and it's so easy to accidentally become that. So we're intentional about it. Uh, but we love the church. It's our second pillar. We wanted it to be a real community that actually cared about each other and that could actually ugly face cry together. And when you, actually, when you told someone about that horrific thing you did last night, instead of being kicked out of the church or removed or treated like something other than a child of God, you're actually embraced and brought in. It's important to us. We want to be that. But here's the thing. The church is made up of people, and the hardest part about church is dealing with people. <laughs> Leaders aren't perfect, and they'll hurt you. That person to your left and to your right who heard the same sermon as you won't be willing to receive it 
And so they're not going to love you like you deserve to be loved. Sometimes when you hurt someone, they're not going to forgive you, even though Jesus told them to, and they're going to hold it against you. Sometimes we're not supposed to gossip, but we'll gossip anyway because we're fallen people, and we're short, and we mess up, and we make mistakes. And sometimes we sit in those mistakes for years, decades even. What happens is slowly over time, things become unhealthy. And it's so easy for that to be the case. We don't want to be that here, right? Sometimes when you see something and think it's unhealthy, it's because it's unhealthy. Sometimes when you see something and think it's unhealthy, it's because you're unhealthy. I've always told this story. My, my father, um, he had a, a hormone disorder, right? And so he had to get put on medication that would level out his hormones. And when he was on that, eventually what happened was he, when he got to the point where his body actually would regulate his hormones correctly, I remember him telling me and my, my mother at the time, my stepmother at the time, um, he said, I feel wrong. What was so weird was he was so used to being unhealthy that his body being healthy didn't feel right. And so often spiritually we will land in that where the healthy thing, the thing that challenges us, we despise it. We start to make bold claims like I just have to focus on me right now. And that's destructive. See, something beautiful, which is a bit of a spoiler for my sermon later, but what are the two greatest commandments? Everyone knows them. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what do we do? We say, well, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, so I have to learn to love me first so I can love you. But then on Jesus' last night, he says, I give you a new commandment. New. So when Jesus says new, perk your ears up. This is important. And for the record, he said this, then he took communion, and then he died. So one of the last things Jesus said to his people was, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. He took you out of the equation. He took the second greatest commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes, no, no, love your neighbor like I loved you. Because it's not about you. It's about me now. It's about Jesus. He's the centerfold of our faith. And I don't treat people like they deserve to be treated. I treat people like Jesus treated me. I don't treat people like I treat myself. I treat people like Jesus treated me. But also learn, learn to treat yourself like Jesus treated you too. Right? It's all true. It's all there and it's all real. But as a community, our chief pursuit should be to love God. That's why our first pillar is to love God. And I actually put them in order of importance. The first most important thing you can do as a Christian is just love Jesus. Just have a relationship with him. Just spend time with him. Just get to know him. Just get into your secret place. Just worship. Just pray. Just read your Bible. But not under compulsion because you're supposed to or God's mad at you. But because you actually like interacting with the one who's enraptured your heart. Right? And then eventually over time, as you realize the love of God, how it pours onto you, you begin to pour it to the rest of his body that you were also a part of, which is our second pillar. And we'll talk about how that affects the rest of the world next week. So come next week too. Um, but I want to read you a Bible verse. Uh, if you've been here any amount of time, we, I take us into Acts chapter 2 a lot. 
not because I think the little breakdown of Acts chapter 2, not because I think that we have to follow every little thing specifically or perfectly, but because I really truly believe that the principles of how they walked are things that will never change. Right, The church and its structure and how it operates and how different churches interact with the world around them, that is constantly changing. But the core values of the church have to remain unshaking. Right? What kind of music is played in a church and how many verses a pastor uses in his sermon or if he reads through the Bible in chronological order or if he reads through the Bible according to topics, those things are all negotiable. But Jesus being king isn't. But communion isn't. Right. But worshiping God, that's not negotiable. Right. So we can we can interact, operate. We can sit in round tables with each other or we can sit in rows. And by the way, if this is your first time, this isn't normal. And we'll be back in rows next week. But we're talking about community. So I figured I'd make it look at each other. <laughs> it's like, you know, that thing where it's like, hey, like, look across the table. If this is uncomfortable to you, heaven's going to suck. Right. <laughs> Right. And so like, like really like we don't want to be the church where it's like, man, Pastor Wes preached the house. I mean, he's gonna, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but we don't want to be the kind of church where like that's the most important thing. I want to be the kind of church where it's like, no, like, like I, someone talked to me and, and they actually prayed with me and, and they're actually walking with me and they're holding me accountable. Man, he annoys me, but I'm better because he's with me. Shout out to Pastor Thomas. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> So I'm going to take us to Acts chapter 2. And I'm just going to read one little small part, verse 42. It goes like this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Can you just leave that up? Just like for probably ever. Like that graphic Amelia made, a beautiful graphic. We loved it. But this is more important. Um, I think that's my son. That's my guy. He's got the same personality as me. Um, yeah. Uh, last night, I, I peeked into the kids' room, and Thomas's wife, Jessie, is pregnant at the moment. And, um, <laughs> and uh, she was telling Titus to stop screaming. That's my son, right? And I peeked in. I didn't help her, by the way. I should have. I didn't. I'm going to tell you the truth. I walked away. Uh, but I peeked in, and she's like, Titus, stop screaming. And he was running around her in circles, taking advantage of the fact that she was pregnant and couldn't keep up with him. And he was just running around her and screaming. And I was like, that's a PK right there. <laughs> and we're going to have to work on that. <laughs> but he's only two. And right now he's supposed to take advantage, right? And it was just so funny because it's like I looked at that and I was like, dang it. Because I would do the same thing still and I'm 28, so. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, right? So last week when I was walking us through scripture i was walking us through the bible we were talking about loving god i I broke down like hey if you're feeling disconnected from god here are some actual practical things you can do to re-engage again right and again i want to say it for the thousandth time don't make these some kind of weird legalistic things but like really if you're feeling far from god go pray go worship go just just soak in the presence of god just meditate on his word read the bible 
You know, like there's that meme, and I love it, where it's like, God, like God, why don't you speak to me? And it's like a hand comes out from heaven and hands in my Bible. And it's like, I believe God speaks. I believe prophecy is real. I believe God is moving. I believe in your moment of darkness that God will actually move in your life and solidify things on your heart. But that stuff is not more important than the word of God. You actually need both. Because I've had people who are like, well, God told me to divorce my wife. And it's like, well, if you just read the word, you would know that God isn't actually telling you that. Right? That's happened a lot throughout my life is watching people say God tells them to do certain things that don't align with the other times he's spoken. Right? And so it's important to know our word, but also hear God when he moves personally. And those things shouldn't contradict each other. The reason why I say that is if last week I really broke down why we should be reading our Bibles, uh, but I'm probably not going to do that too much today because I already did that last week. Uh, so I'm just going to briefly say these are four things you see the church doing. And this is the church being the church as a community. And one of the first things the church did was they listened to the apostles' teaching. What were the apostles teaching? Not heresy. They were teaching Jesus in the Old Testament. And they were teaching Jesus what they had learned as they sat at his feet. When Jesus Christ has the great commission, right? You all know what that is. Like Jesus comes back after dying, resurrects, spends 40 days and 40 nights interacting with his disciples. And the final, at the end of that 40th day, when he is going to leave and ascend to heaven, he gives them a great commission. You know, the whole thing of go make disciples of all the nations. What? Teaching them all that I have taught you. Right, And so all the disciples, the apostles, they're apostles now because they were sent by God. Right, The apostles are saying, look, we spent three years and he taught us every single day for this moment. Because someday he was going to leave and we had to continue his message. And so what they're teaching is the gospels. You ever read the book of Mark? Mark is Peter's cousin. It's probably just safer to call it the book of Peter. So Peter's probably teaching these things. Matthew was one of the disciples. You read the book of Matthew? That dude was with Jesus everywhere they went. So you're, you're not just getting these abstract writings. You're actually reading probably what they were teaching in Acts 2. Now here's the scary thing, though. One of the important aspects of church is the word of God. But who's the ones teaching? Leaders. That's the worst part of church. I got to listen to another person? I have a leader. I just submit. That's offensive, but it's important. There are plenty of times in my life where I would have gone buck wild and ran away from Jesus if I hadn't already predetermined in my heart that there was a leader I'd submit a knee to. And when I was an intern at the church LV, his name was Eric Burr. He lives in Texas now. But there were moments where I was done, I was over it, I was completely overwhelmed, I was angry, I was offended, and I wanted to walk out the door, but he would look at me and say, you're better than that. And I didn't want to hear him, but I had decided in my heart, I'm going to submit to this guy. And it helped me in times when I wouldn't have been held otherwise. Times where my relationship with God was not strong enough to keep me in relationship with him, as sad as that is to say, there were leaders that held me in place. They're important to our walk. That's why on Wednesdays we do small groups. We call it discipleship. Sit in a circle. There's someone leading the group, discipling you. And the point of that is just stay with them. You're going through it and you want to run? Man, me too sometimes. Like yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
And even when I became a pastor and I became the lead pastor of this church because the circumstances of me becoming a lead pastor were very uncomfortable and unfortunate, the first thing I did was go get a leader. Pastor Zach Wessler, he, is, he was here. He's in New York now. But still to this day, I call him when I'm going through major issues. To this day, I call him when I'm messing up. To this day, he will call me if he listened to a sermon or saw something online and was like, hey, that was dumb. Maybe don't do that. Because I've, I bowed a knee to that. Of like, you know what? I listen to God and the Holy Spirit moves me. But the Holy Spirit led me to this relationship for a reason. And I'm going to get better for it. <laughs> Amen? A pastor Pat said something so good yesterday. I actually quoted it on Facebook. I'm going to say it again to everyone right now. Uh, he says, some of us think we're ready to lead, but we're still learning to serve. <sighs> so the apostles teaching. Apostles implies leadership. Teaching implies something to teach, which is the word of God, right? And so the church, when the church comes together, there are three requirements for the church. God, leadership, discipleship. And if one of those things is missing, it's actually not a full church. And it's not living up to what God's expectation for the church is. Right? Let's go to the fun ones now. Uh, fellowship. So in my notes, I left my phone. It's okay. I don't need it. I'm sure. Thank you, though. You're so handsome. Um, when I said fellowship, what I wrote down was we have to build our lives together. We, we turn Christians and, and Christianity into an event we attend instead of people we do life with, which is something I'm radically trying to shake out of our community because it is not the church. Attendance isn't church. Service isn't church. This building isn't church. It's the church functioning in a specific way for a specific thing. But the church is when we come together, right? At 10 o'clock when we were praying here, those of us who got together and prayed, church was already happening, right? It's important. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. And me and Pastor Thomas Tell, we were just telling the story the other night. This is going to be like a testimony-filled sermon, and it's going to involve him a lot, unfortunately, because me and him, we got saved together, and we also got high together. So it was like those things, like the process, there was overlap, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> of, of learning with God and God meeting us where we're at. And I remember we, me and Pastor Thomas were sitting in a Roberto's high as kites with all of our stoner friends with us, right? And I'm sitting there, and I look to him, and I'm like, something is wrong. Listen, I didn't know the Bible taught not to alter your mind. I didn't know it was bad. I knew a lot of Christians that were like, oh, yeah, yeah, get as high as you want. God's glorified in that. I knew that. I've been told that. I'd experienced that. So when I was sitting there, it wasn't this, oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble or I'm being bad or some leader told me not to do this. I was sitting there and something in me was screaming, I have more for you than this. I was unsatisfied and incomplete. And I looked at Pastor Thomas and I said, I can't do this anymore. This has to be it. And he said, yes, we got hyped, and one week later, we're in the same Roberto's, the same people, high again. God was changing my heart. God was speaking to me, but I was not changing my circumstance. And I was situating myself to repeat. So me and Pastor Thomas looked at our friends and said, if you want to hang out with us, 
Come to church. If not, we're going to be at church. And guess what? They showed up every now and again. And then slowly over time, they disappeared. Meanwhile, I was in the process of getting over depression, of getting off drugs, of stop having to medicate. Right? I didn't need, I was on these substances because I was trying to forget something. And I was able to face it and learn. I found a beautiful woman and got married. Have children. No one that we hang out with has a family that we used to hang out with. No one that we left behind is happy. I watch their posts. I'm still friends with them. I still interact with them. They're not happy, and they'll frequently post about it. But I changed something. And can I tell you something in full honesty? You know how many times that church I went to, how many times I got hurt? How many times I chose to sit around people that broke my heart, backstabbed me, talked bad about me, tried to separate my good friendships, tried to isolate me away, tried to get me removed from things. How many times I was hurt and shamed and backstabbed. But let me tell you something. I stayed anyway. And the reason being is I understood something. The church saved my life. I wasn't, see, Pastor Thomas was smoking weed. I was on heroin. I was on my way to death. Friends that I, I had a friend last year pass away that I used to get high with. From an overdose. And realistically, if I didn't get away, I would have been sitting there with him. So now in jail or dead also. The church saved my life. I know it did. If any of you follow me on Instagram and Facebook, you saw me post a picture of my wife and my children sleeping on the couch. It was one of the most beautiful things ever. I was by, I was sitting there, and I had to get off. We were doing a board meeting. By the end of the board meeting, I literally, I just cried. Like, like, a, like a man, right? Like a man cry. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. It was a girl full snot cry. Like, God has been too good to me. I do not deserve this. But what positioned me for all of it was a stubbornness that I was going to stay a part of a community. I have only attended three churches in my life. Church number one, when I left, is because God told me to leave, and my leadership prayed me out. There was no drama. There was drama later, but there wasn't in the leaving. There was prayer. There was love. Eric Burr, who was my leader, again, I told you, I submitted to that. He encouraged the move. For me, it was healthy until it wasn't anymore because some people, drama happens, and and I was still young and, and immature, right? The next church stopped being a church. It just, it melted, and now I'm at Boulevard. That's my 10 years of church experience. Because I have a stubborn, hard-headed truth of like, I am going to build something. Not keep hopping from place to place mad because they haven't built what I want yet. I'm going to build something. And so we started building. And the thing about this church that I love is when people come here for anything besides building, they get upset and they leave. <laughs> Because it's like, well, God's called me to be a preacher. It's like, okay, well, the altar hasn't been built yet, so will you help us build it? Well, God's told me to preach to the nations. Okay, well, we haven't paved the road to the nations yet. Do you want to grab a shovel and dig with us? Oh, God just suddenly told me I'm going to that megachurch down the street. They're not going to notice you. Here's the truth why they're not going to notice you. Because the really, really, really talented people are already there being noticed. 
<laughs> and if you stumbled into here, guess what? <laughs> Do you know why this church isn't 300 people big? Because I don't have the capacity for 300 people. <laughs> it will someday. And the people who are leaders, when that happens, they're going to be the people who dug. Just like go to the church LV, go to City Light, go to Central, all those big churches. Guess who those leaderships are? Those are the ones who dug. Those are the ones who were there before it was popular to be there. I'm, a, I'm way better of a preacher than that guy. Yeah, but he's been there 15 years. <laughs> Amen? Community isn't a stage. Church isn't a platform. That's why I'm making you sit at tables. Like, like, face your neighbor. That's church. And again, that ain't good enough for you. Heaven's gonna suck in. <laughs> well, honestly, if it's not good enough for you, you're probably. So, <laughs> we love the church here. The church saved my life. I've also been hurt by the church. I've also been broken by the church. I've also been led astray by people in the church. Hear me. I love the church. I love the church. Jesus loves the church. Don't situate yourself against God's bride thinking that someone out in the wilderness tilling a garden that's not even blessed by God is somehow something great. He called us from the wilderness into a garden and it's community now. And now where we're at is flowing. And hear me, hear me. You're not some outsider who's going to go change things for the better. What's going to change things for the better? Because I do agree the church has gotten off kilter a little bit. It's when a community comes together and changes things together. But most rebels can grow about 10 people and then guess what? Because you built a church off rebels, now it's 10 more churches. Right? You need people who want to build. And I, things need to change. So we're, we change them. And we're open to conversations. Because look out. Look. And I'm not saying the church is perfect. I'm just saying you're not either. So join in. <laughs> right? I'm not saying the leadership in this church is perfect. Except for Pastor John, the rest of us kind of suck. That's <laughs> why <laughs> so God called him to our church, because sometimes he'll slap us upside the head. Honestly, 99 times if I sit down with Glenn, Glenn's like, Pastor, you're amazing. He starts talking about life, and I'm learning a lot. And he's like, thank you, Pastor, I just learned so much. And I was like, I, I feel like you talked yourself into that. Uh, and, I, and I'm the one that learned a lot, right? And it's just because that's, that's who we are. Like, I, I don't look at Deacon Chad and think I need to make him more like me. Honestly, I want to be like him. I've been saying it. I want to be like Deacon Chad when I grow up, right? It's actually kind of why we made him a leader. There are things here that you have that I don't. And so it's funny that last time we had a guest speaker, he prophesied over me in front of all of you. And he says, I see you growing in the community, right? I've never wanted to be a pastor of a church. I wanted to be a pastor in a church, right? And I think that heart is what led me to being over a church because over time, that's contagious. And it's like, wait a second. No, I was built for this. No, you're, no, you're right. I was made just to love Aaron, what's that next Bible verse I had? I forget it off the top of my head, but it applies to this. Uh, oh, <laughs> I, I already said it. <laughs> I'm on my notes. Uh, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Jesus Christ, JC, new commandment. Mic drop. Let's go back to the other verse. <laughs> I guess I didn't need it. Um, 
Amen, though? So breaking of bread. We already did that. So I'm, once again, I'm not going to read you a Bible verse. A deacon, Dante, who gave you communion, actually gave you more verses for a seven-minute message than I'm going to give you for the 45-minute message. So go take those notes that you took because people who have take good notes stay closer to God in heaven. It's a Bible verse somewhere. I'm sure it is. Um, those are the verses. But something that really stands out to me, if you go read any one of the communion passages, there are two reoccurring themes. There's actually more than that, but two that are relevant to what I'm talking about. Um, when they, The Bible talks about them breaking bread. Literally, the centerfold of their gatherings was Jesus Christ, right? Communion is so much more important than this monthly thing we do in a church. If you're in a church that does it monthly, it's why we do it every week. But I actually believe in the Old Testament, uh, sorry, in the book of Acts, they were doing it every single day, right? Because their gatherings were centered around them eating together and breaking this bread in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Because listen to me, the more I focus on Jesus, the better I'll treat you. And so they would center their gatherings on remember how he was broken for us? Break for one another. Remember how he bled for us? Bleed for one another. And it becomes the centerfold of they became unshakable, which is good because the rest of the world wanted to kill them. So if they weren't willing to love one another, they all would have been alone. Hashtag American church. Most of us are in church and we feel so lonely. Truthfully, for many of us, it's because we don't take the time to reach out. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been to a church, no matter the size, that doesn't have a small group section that you could sit and meet people. But I digress. It's still so crucial to put Jesus at the center because this is all about him. This is to glorify him. This is to lift his name up. Church isn't a place to evangelize to your unsafe friend. It's a place for you to get filled up so that you can go evangelize to your unsafe friend, right? Like this model of like, just bring him into the anointed man of God. And then he will preach the message that will change your friend's lives. He might. Most times he won't. I wasn't saved in a church service. Pastor Thomas was, but, um, <laughs> but I was there. Um, but most of you probably weren't saved in a church service. Maybe you had a moment where things broke in a church service. But honestly, where you really got in line with God was probably in conversations with someone. Or maybe you were just alone praying, or you were reading your word, or you just grew up in a family like that, so you'd always known the gospel. But it probably wasn't like, oh, I remember the church service. It was probably, no, I remember this person cared. But we center on communion. We center on Jesus. The two things that you'll see is, the Bible says that they broke bread in the Oh, what's it called? The, the feast that they were at for communion. Passover. Passover. So during that Passover, Jesus hands bread and says, and they broke it among one another. Yeah. Right? And they took it and it said, and then they sang a hymn together. Mm. Right? And so even in the original communion, they were taking it together. It wasn't, it wasn't Peter and Jesus and then Matthew and Jesus. It was us together. And Jesus was in the midst of that us. And then they worshiped God together. And that was Passover. Having communion at your house by yourself is effective. It works. God moves. He loves you. But it is not the fullness of his intention for communion. Because they broke it together. 
They devoted them. You hear that? They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. What does that mean to devote myself to communion in a community? Right? And then my last, our last little point is prayers. And, and once again, uh, there's a thousand million verses for prayers. Actually, last week, I really dove into prayer and meditation, right? And so once again, I'm not going to dive into it in the sense of, I think most people get it. Even people who don't know God, far from God, have never heard a sermon in their life, have never read the Bible. All, even people like that, they know what prayer is. It's just, it's enough in our pop culture, we get what prayer is. I want to tell you, prayer isn't this structured, perfect thing. Prayer is just like a conversation, but it's between you and God. There is supplication, there is prayer, there's moments of tears, moments of joy, moments of happiness, moments where you should just shut up and listen, moments where you should talk and really get out what you're feeling. Prayer isn't a specific, here's how you pray. Prayer is just prayer. Well, not just, it's so important. But what's happening is they're not just praying, they're praying together. They're devoting themselves to praying together. Let me put it like this. They are devoting themselves to experiencing God together. Man, I remember a time when I was in the middle of a prayer service. I started crying, just bawling when God started moving, and three people just hugged me. And what happened was, as I experienced God, I also got knit together closer with men of God. Because listen, your relationship with God is personal, it's also corporate, and it should also be public. There are moments where the right thing to do is close your door, get on your knees by yourself with God, and really just experience him. But that's not on a Sunday in a room full of people. Sunday in a room full of people, I should be experiencing God together. We're knit, like the Bible says, stir one another up in love. We're just kind of stirring each other. We're just kind of burning together. We're just kind of getting excited together. And what happens is inevitably it leads to you getting prayer. And in that moment of prayer, you can finally open up about what you're going through, maybe a little bit more than you were able to before. And now there's people present for it because God kind of set an atmosphere. And what that atmosphere did is it softened my heart. And in the moment of softening, another man or woman of God was there nurtured that and that moment produced something in my life i'll never forget because we experience god together community is so crucial there was a guy his name was mario rebus and he used to have a role at the church lv best role ever he dealt with youth ministry and youth ministries around the time were dudes Start smelling. Start growing hair in weird places. And start getting really hormonal. And the problem with the church at the time was that there weren't a lot of present dads. And so some kid would come to a week, a few weeks straight, smell him. And we'd know when it was happening because he'd walk up to someone and be like, hey, let's go on a walk. And he would go on a walk <laughs> up to the gas station, buy them deodorant, <laughs> buy them toothpaste buy razors and he would walk them back and they'd be like I don't want to smell you next week and it's like dad should have taught me that but he wasn't here but thank God I was in a church where I could learn that me and Pastor Thomas's friendship was on the fritz we were arguing we was screaming my boy Luis right here this is his first time at Boulevard Church hi give a shout out sorry guys I put him on blast the reason why I put him on blast we were screaming and Luis just walks up and he hands Thomas a rock and he goes you can only talk if you have the rock and at the time, 
And it worked because he's, he's muscular. And he was like, or I'll hit you with the rock. And it's like, all right. And we worked out our problem. We might not have if there wasn't someone with a rock. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but again, it was the church. And so friendships that I have now lasted because I'm a part of church where someone loved me enough to go, I don't care if you hate me, I'll beat you with a rock. You got to talk this out. <laughs> That's how it goes sometimes, right? It's so important. And so I've done it before because I learned that lesson. I've looked at someone who come to our church, not in the room right now, and I just look at them like, hey, you smell, stop. Just do something about it, you know? You walk at someone, you conversate, and then it's like, all right, don't pray for someone today. And next week, mouthwash, right? And it's like, <laughs> I remember when me and Pastor Thomas were graduating internship. They asked us to dress up. We didn't know how to tie a tie. Because like, I want to cry right now. Because, like, our dads weren't there. And so we went to YouTube, because there's a dude on YouTube that will teach you. And I was too stupid to get it. And so I was like, this is complicated. I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm just going to do my little loop-de-loop and pull. And it looked terrible. Thomas's did look better than mine, but neither one of them looked good. And we show up to the event, and a guy named Clay Matthews walks up to us, and he just does both our ties. And he walks us through how to do it. And he explains it, and he talks. And it's like, man, when I got a car for the first time and I needed to change my oil, I didn't have someone to teach me. So my wife goes, we'll just go to my dad. And when I go to... Pavel, he's like, hey, here's how you do it. Get down here. And I was like, well, I mean, no, like you're the mechanic. And it's like, no, you need to learn. <laughs> and, and I don't think his motives were because I want to see you succeed. I think his motives were because my daughter ain't got to do this. But the church, right? I met her through the church, met him, and, and he taught me how to change my oil. I still just go to him, but I know how to do it. And that's what's important. But I never learned. And it's like, the church is so much more crucial than just you learn spiritual principles. God built us this way for a person because when he said, I come to draw a sword between husband and wife, children and father. When his, his mother and brothers come to take him and they're like, they're like, your parents are here for you. Your mother's here for you. Your brothers are here for you. He goes, who are my mother and who are my brothers but those who do the will of God? Unfortunately, Christianity is divisive whether you want it to be or not. The Bible says we're peacemakers, not peacekeepers. You know what I'm saying? Like we make peace. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so there's division involved in the church because sometimes we have to separate from the thing that's going to destroy us so we can be strong enough to go back and fix it later. Right? And when we're in that process, it's not on someone to be like, well, let me pray for you. That's nice, and it's helpful, but really you need someone to sit down and be like, here's your problem. You're a jerk, and you need to be nicer to people. So let's walk you through it, and if I catch you being a jerk, I'm going to pull you off to the side, and I'm going to talk to you about it because you need to get over this because I don't care. Oh, it's just me being me. No, it's not. You're being a jerk, right? And so sometimes we have to walk through that. Yeah. Marriages are healed from the most broken of places when we just start talking to people who have been through it before because the church is so crucial to God's design and it's so crucial to his plan I am basically a hundred percent of who I am today because of the church I would die on the steps of the church and I would fight for the church because it saved my life and it's all I have like my wife in church have my kids in church um, I learned all of my adult skills in church honestly I love both of my parents. Neither one of them taught me squat. My grandpa taught me a little bit, but mostly I just learned things from adults in the church. 
when I got off of drugs, it was because a youth pastor picked me up over his shoulder, locked me in his bathroom. My mom tried to get me. He said, no, you can have him back in two weeks. And I just detoxed on the floor. And it was like, it was the church. It absolutely saved my life. And I'll fight for it. And so when I see people get up and I, I see sermon, it's so popular right now. There's a billboard. This is the church for people who hate church. It's like, kick rocks. I don't even know what church that is, so forgive me if, if you know that church or something. I don't know the church. I don't even know the name of it. I just see that sign, and I get a little, I get a little salty about it, right? And, and, like, there are people who I look up to and respect kind of in Christendom. And even just last week, I was watching a sermon from someone that I really respect just kind of going off about how the church. And it wasn't like a, hey, let's work on this. It was like, no, the church sucks, and it's just time. And I'm like, I'm watching people deconstruct. Realistically, questioning your faith and challenging it, that's a healthy thing. Trying to redefine God. God is destructive, and you don't have the right. And that's, that's an unfortunate truth. And, and here's the thing, though. If you would just shut up and listen to people who know more than you. I remember, this is kind of political, so I'll be, I'll be vague about it, but it was like an important lesson to me. Like, this guy and his dad that I used to work with were arguing about something political. You know? They were both, they were both um, African-American. They were both of that descent, and they were arguing about something political. Polar opposites on their belief. And I remember my friend getting really mad at me because when his dad left, he just kind of went off about it to me. He's like, I can't believe my dad thinks this and this and this. And I'm like, well, didn't he live through all that? And he's like, my dad doesn't know what he's talking about. And I was like, no, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, why do you think the situation he lived through, you understand it more? Right, like it was shocking. Like my mind was sincerely, like I couldn't fathom the conversation because I was like, how are we so prideful that we think we know more than people who have lived through situations that we never have? And so this whole deconstruction movement, I guess, but realistically go sit with someone who's been with the Lord for 40 and 50 years and let them tell you why. Right, we can't assume we're smarter. We need each other. We need the church. Like I said, questioning is healthy. We encourage it around here. Uh, we encourage our leaders to know the Bible. Because if you have a doubt, talk about it. Don't hide it. Because that's half the reason why people deconstruct anyway. They have no one they can talk to. But the church needs to be the church. And some of you need dads, and so there's dads here. You know how I knew the church was messed up? There was a 30-year-old, still calls me it, but he was like, yeah, I just see he was like a father to me. And I was like, we're in trouble. Right? And I receive it, and I'm there, and I walk with him through all of his issues. But realistically... There just should have been someone. But at the time, there wasn't. And I'm looking around now, and there's so much. We're anything if not diverse. <laughs> the, the age group is diverse. The life experiences are diverse. The languages in this room are diverse. I really love this little community. It's a picture of something that's going to grow and develop. But we just have to submit unto one another. I wish someone would have said that. Just can't the Bible verse. Um, but I want to hop off my soapbox because I didn't, I, I have to write closers or I'll keep talking and I didn't write a closer. And so I'm gonna keep talking. Um, unless I just decide right now to call the worship team up all y'all. So we can just start playing some La Musica like Maverick city. Um, and, uh, we're going to worship. Now here's the thing. We only planned two worship songs. Uh, instead of our normal four. 
And um, uh, the reason is, is because I do want to make sure that though we worship together, I wanted the music to end a little sooner. So you guys can just talk. Maybe you need prayer. Um, or maybe during worship you need prayer. Just talk to someone, right? Like, like let it die, this thought that like, oh, like the lead pastor has to pray for me. Or like, Pastor Blank has to pray for me. Like, no, like, we all have the same Holy Spirit. The role of a pastor is to equip Right, And so it's my job to equip you to pray with one another, not to be the one who always prays with you. Right, It's the role of a prophet to equip. Right, My job isn't to teach you to listen to my prophecy. It's to teach you to have a mouth that speaks prophecy. Right? I can't. I forgot. Um, but it's the, the point is the church is here to equip. It's not here to build fans. I'm not here to, like, man. That sermon was fire, and it was. I know it was. You don't even need to tell me. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but that's not what's important. Like, I just don't want to be the church where it's like, oh, the lead pastor's going to be gone today. I'll skip today. It does happen. But I don't want that. Because it means you're here for the wrong reason. Pastor West just speaks in a way that I don't, Pastor Eric just speaks in a way that, Pastor Thomas just speaks in a way that really cuts into my heart. And it's like, yeah, but give the other people around you a shot. I've learned, ready, ready for something crazy, and this isn't a knock on the person whose name I'm about to say, because it's not about them, because I have learned more from Jim or Glenn or Pastor John than I've learned from T.D. Jakes, right? Because T.D. Jakes, at most, he's never speaking to me. He's talking to a crowd or they'll engage with me in moments of my lacking as a father or as a man or as a leader. Like, listen to the sermons. They're so beautiful and, and they really will impact and pierce your heart. But when I was going off the rails last year because my grandma passed away and I wasn't handling it well, like Judah Smith didn't show up for me. Pastor Eric did. And when we had a baby, you know, my wife and I just did recently, you know, it, <laughs> it wasn't a communicator. It wasn't Hillsong. It wasn't Bethel. It wasn't, I don't know, let me pick something not charismatic. It wasn't uh, Apologia. It wasn't none of those people. It was Michaela that made a meal, meal train for us. And that impacted me more than a sermon could. Because a sermon might get me to go, you're right, I really should fix that. But it's the people around me that will push me to be better. When I became a pastor, one of my biggest fears were, like all the pastors I know, their marriages fall apart and their children hate the church. I don't get it. And I was terrified of that concept. Which is why I ended up with Pastor Zach. Remember when Pastor Chris came and preached here? And some of you weren't here for it. I get it. I'm going to tell a story anyway, right? He got up on stage and he preached the sermon and he kept saying things that I have preached differently. <laughs> he quoted quotes and he talked about people and he said things that I've been like, hey, this is probably false doctrine, right? And I remember from the stage, because we just believe different things. We're, we're the same on Jesus, but we're different in so many other ways because all it takes is Jesus, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, not the brother of Satan Jesus, but like like actual son of God, Trinity, Jesus, right? Um, 
and, and he taught a bunch of things, and it's like, well, this is our covering church. Like, why are we so different than them? And I remember he made a quote, and he looked at my face, and he goes, why did you invite me here? You don't believe anything that I believe, right? And he said that, and it's on our podcast. No, it's not. We didn't, we didn't, uh, that, that whole year, there's no podcast. But it is on Facebook if you scroll back far enough. Um, and he just said that, and it was, and I looked, and I was like, and I told him later, like, we're under you because your kids still like you. We're under you because your church is healthy and because you'll say things that people are afraid to say. We're under you because your wife seems to be, seems to enjoy you. And when you're preaching, and I've seen this before, she's not rolling her eyes on the front of the stage. And I've seen awkward. Because when this person's out preaching to the nations, there's a video of you throwing a baseball with your son. Like what matters, that's what matters. That's, that's what matters to me. And so when I went under someone, I wasn't looking for doctrine. I wasn't looking for influence or could they build me into a man who changes the nations? Like, man, I was like, I, I was looking for someone that would get me to the place where I could post a picture of a sleeping family and realize I am so blessed. So we're in our three pillars. I'm sorry, I'm going, my sermons are longer. And it's because I'm so passionate about these topics. But like I said, I am extra passionate about the community of Christ. And I will say this as my closing statement, because I would be dead if it wasn't for the church. And so I will die for the church. And so dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that you spoke to them through this. God, I pray that our hearts would be open that maybe those of us who are wandering, trying to find a, a home, we could find rest. God, I pray the boulevard would be a place where the broken can find rest and the strong can help build. A place where we actually impact families and that we actually set an atmosphere, God, that you find lovely. That as David cried out, God, may I be a blessing to you. May we be a blessing to you. And as your word says that you place your throne upon the praises of your people, may we be a place worthy of your throne, God. God, I pray for people who could be raw and real, but willing to be challenged. It would be a real community, a real family. That your word calls us a body with many parts. calls us sheep in the sheepfold. And all of your analogies for us, God, they always draw us back to togetherness. We're all bricks in a temple. So may we build together, God. God, I pray Boulevard Church wouldn't just be a church that people would just pass through, but it'd be a church that would really change lives and change hearts, God, and would draw sons and daughters back to you people who have been hurt and rejected could find acceptance and healing. Mm. God, we thank you because you're here. I thank you because you're present. And God, most importantly, I thank you because you care. And in Jesus' name I say, amen.